River Church this morning. We're ministering on going the distance. Going the distance all the way. The distance going all the way. And I'm real compelled to take my one and only life. What to do with it? Everybody's got a certain amount of confusion right now. Then there's the proverbial midlife crisis. What to do with my life? Why, Why am I this old and I haven't done anything? We should go all the way, whatever that is. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 this morning, praise God. Then I want to read you, I want to quote the scripture that we've been quoting every Sunday morning, which is in Acts chapter 3, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, and it's in the Passion Version. So when y'all find Acts chapter 20, I want to read this to you. Amen. Got it? Ephesians 3.20 in the Passion says, He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. I want to stop and repeat that. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request. What if that was true? What if that was even possible? What if he did that one out of 1,000 or 10,000 people? What if that was true? What if someone testified and said, It actually did happen to me. He achieved infinitely more than my greatest request. Why, we'd say that's, that's raising some from the dead. That's, that's, that's so amazing, we, we can hardly believe it. And then he goes on, he said, if you don't like how that came out, he will achieve more than your most unbelievable dream. Right there it tells us we should be dreaming. We should be dreaming. We should be dreaming about impossible things. Not just how you're going to get to your car to the mechanic and still make it to work. That might be impossible, but he, I think he's, he's working on more than that. He will achieve more than your most unbelievable dream and exceed your wildest imagination. These are the most broad, the most far-reaching adjectives and words of, of the impossible becoming possible than I can imagine. And then he says, he will outdo them all. Let's just lift our hands right now before Lord Jesus and thank him. Lord, thank you for the promise. Thank you, Lord. We're not just uh, spitting in the wind, but Lord, there's a promise that dictates and, and enumerates my future. I thank you, Lord. You've got it figured out, and I'm going to obey and follow and rejoice in the impossible becoming possible in jesus name amen. amen amen so i want you to you know we all need to just quit it about hard things people all the time say well this is hard but it's not impossible and it's only hard until you beat it once you beat something once you do the hard thing it's not hard anymore you just do it and then then it becomes easy then you go to the next hard thing and do it until it becomes easy. And soon your life is the impossible made possible. Hallelujah. Isn't Jesus wonderful? All he wants is a testimony out of somebody that said this is how this happened. And then he will, uh, the testimony will say of God, I want to do it again. We should have, and we do have, but we should, we should have a hotbed of testimonies 
of people that walked on the water, that, that uh, put themselves in harm's way, and it just turned out amazing. We all have a testimony. We all have a story. We ought to meditate on it. We ought to, we ought to like Melissa did this morning, we ought to extract the, the things out of the testimony that really are not common or nonchalant, but are like, that was amazing. Your story might not be amazing to you anymore, but if you'll stop and rehearse it, you'll know that it really is amazing and that he wants to do it again. We should do something with our life that's so amazing that when we go to heaven, they have two sections, the amazing section and the, and the as if by fire section. Y'all know what the word says about that. And we ought to all be in the amazing section. Praise God. Well, we are. We are. We just have to rehearse our testimony. In Acts chapter 20, we're there. Look in verse 22. We're talking about the distance going all the way. The distance going all the way. This is talking about the distance going all the way. And he said in verse 20, 22, excuse me. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit, Paul said, unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Verse 24, but none of these things move me. Would you say that with me? But none of these things move me. Then he said, neither count my, I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. What an amazing testimony he said there. I don't know what's ahead. Well, if you was to wake up this morning and read the news and uh, digested it at all, you'd say, we don't know what's ahead. Economically, in our nation, and, and evil, and lawlessness, anarchy everywhere, it's the craziest thing we've ever been through. And we've been through some stuff. The 2008 Wall Street meltdown and, and then uh, uh, pandemics in, in times past. It's crazy out there. So we don't know ourselves what shall befall us. But verse 24 says, but none of these things move me. Can you say that with me? But none of these things move me. Now that's, we got to harden into that. We can't vacillate in and out like Jello. Some days we're this form and this, some days we're that form. We should never say, I'm afraid. We just go to the secret place of the Most High and save the Lord. You are my fortress, my God, in whom shall I trust? And just stay there and just stay there. Listen to this in the New Living. Because I want to talk about going the distance this morning. The New Living says, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. My life is worth nothing to me. Well, you know, fear is all about losing your life. All fear is rooted in what's going to happen to me. And he said, I don't take that thought. My life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus. That's an amen right there. I want that. I want to be able to say that with a straight face and a conviction in my heart. I want to be able to say, my life. I take no thought about my life, not my body, not my future, not my reputation. It's worth nothing to me unless I can do the assignment. So that makes you move distractions out. That makes you 
trivialize trivial things. It makes you maximize things that are important to God. It says in the today's English, I reckon my own life to be worth nothing to me. I only want to complete my mission and finish the work that the Lord Jesus gave me to do. Well said. The passion, here we go. The passion says, whether I live or die is not important, for I don't esteem my life as indispensable. None of us are indispensable. Only the Lord Jesus. But you got to know that. And you got to hold things loosely. Don't we have to hold things loosely? We hold way too tight to things that don't matter. Where there's plenty more where that came from. Really? Plenty more where that came from. So why would I hang on to that one? He went on to say, It's more important for me to fulfill my destiny and finish the ministry the Lord Jesus has assigned to me. It's more important. It's more important than what? Living or dying and esteeming your life is indispensable. Well, that, this is quite a challenge for us as Christians because we're living in a, no matter how fearful it is out there and how mysterious the future is, how, how tentative life is, you know, with the COVID and with uh, uh, money and the Mexican standoff, excuse me to my Mexican friends, but the, the standoff we have between us and the government and the mandates and the, and the school thing, the, all that's going on. It's just a new fog. It's not like it's, we've never seen a fog. It's just a new one. It's just got a different title. Uh, the devil's come to steal, kill, and destroy. So however that looks on any given day is irrelevant to us. We know he's coming. We know he's out there. We know he's defeated, and we just stand in that victory. So whatever God's called you to do, your assignment, not my assignment, don't do my assignment. I, I'm the best one in the world to do my assignment, and you are the best one to do your assignment. Don't try to do somebody else's assignment. You're not that good at it, and you're not equipped for it. But whatever your assignment for today, you might not know the whole thing, Probably you don't, because revelation is progressive. You have to take a step by revelation to see the next step of revelation. Otherwise, it would be scary. If you saw the whole end of it without faith for the whole end of it, without seeing the steps that God would come bring you through, we couldn't handle the whole end of it. So he just shows us, and we, gather, we garner faith for that moment. You know, like Wendy said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a business. All of us have got things that we could have said in that same service about this is what I'm going to do with my life. But you really don't know what you're saying. You really don't know what the end of that looks like. It would be formidable. But you can bite off what he shows you today. Get your faith around that. Believe God for the resources, the timing, the favor of it. Go there and think, well, I've finally arrived. This is over. And then he opens another door and said, well, you're here. Not, you're not here for that. You're here for something else. And so we're all being positioned. You're in River Church right now. You're being positioned for something that's not there. So we said that John 10, 10, we know that scripture, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. And we said Wednesday that he's come to steal the value of our lives, 
that we think is in our own eyes. And we all have different precious things. We have things that are precious to, that are the same for everybody. Your heart beating, your lungs breathing, all that stuff's precious. But some people living in a, in a super duper house, you know, that's really special to them. They really have that. Without that, I'll never be happy or whatever. And some people just like you to just close the, the tent door. You know, that's all they care about is it, it doesn't matter. So we have different values. Well, whatever your value is, the devil's come to steal that. He doesn't have just a thing that says, well, I'm going to steal the cars from everybody. Some people don't care about cars so much. But they're very valuable to others. He's come to steal from you the value of your life, whatever you value. So that obviously would contain our children and certainly our grandchildren. That would be valuable. That would be devastating to have that touched in our life. Well, he's coming for it. Make no mistake, he's coming for what's precious to you. Because not only does he want to just take them out and the future they would have, but more than that, he wants to devastate you and me. He wants us to lose hope. He wants to bring something to your life that would devastate you and test or qualify where you really are. In other words, he wants to bring a setback. And so we, we can't wait for the setback to say, I'll regain. We've got to be strong before he even comes. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. Well, there's enough in that life to take care of all the steal, kill, and destroy. He said, ah, this is... In John 16, he said, in the world you'll have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. He said, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you might have life to whoop that devil, whoop that devil and everything he could ever bring. So like we said a while ago in Psalm 91, you just go to the secret place and live in the secret place and don't step out of the secret place because uh, that's where the life is. Amen. Amen. So whatever's, whatever's valuable in your life that's not valuable to God, that's what we're doing every day. We're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So we're seeking uh, first the kingdom. And so if what something's valuable to you that's not first in the kingdom, it's in front of something that's first in the kingdom, it's got to go. I said it's got to go. And you can go by letting it be stolen and killed and destroyed. You can let it happen that way. Or you can just say, ah, this is not that, this is not that important in my life. You got to go. Nothing's happening. No, no bad negative things. Nothing's going on. You just say, one day you get up and say, that is taking the place of something valuable. It's got to go. And so we're always doing an evaluation, an appraising in our life of what's valuable. Who's valuable? I, I've been telling you all for a couple of years now, I'm, I'm, I'm working on relationships because I've had some. Everybody's a good person in God. And, and I'm not discounting that, but I also realize I can't hold everybody. Everybody that would want to be in me with me, which is not that many, apparently. But I don't have, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to evaluate who am I supposed to be with? Because everyone I'm with and everyone you're with, two things are going on all the time. You're either ministering to them or receiving ministry from them. So if there's anybody in your life right now that's taking up space, taking up emotion, taking up time, taking up your faith that's not receiving from you or not giving to you, 
they got to go. You may put them on the shelf and say, I'll come back to you later and see, and see if you missed me. <laughs> you, you weren't taking, you know. You go, this is kind of crass or coarse. It's not. It's, it's real. And it makes you have a stronger life. It makes you not carry what the Word says, put aside every weight and sin that so doth easily beset you or weight you down. And I'm just, I'm just throwing things off. And not everybody likes it when I throw things out of my life that are not important anymore or not yet. Maybe there's some stuff that I'm there too soon. Yeah. Or that has used to be very valuable, but now it's time for them to break loose and go help somebody else. And it's time for... We got what we came together for, and now it's time... So I'm doing that all the time. I hope you are. I hope you are assessing things in your life. Well, I just... One of these days, I'm going to have a... Uh, this kind of car, this kind of boat. Well, there's nothing wrong with that unless it gets in front of something that's seek ye first the kingdom. And so you've got to go, you're out, of, you're, you're out of step. We let the Lord bring things to us. We do set our faith for it, but we don't set our faith much for things. That's a big faith lesson. You just don't set your... He supplies all of our needs, so we're in faith about that. But then he, he, he gives you the desires of your heart. So it's okay to get your desires pointed, tuned in, but the Lord will bring those to you. Don't use up a lot of faith for that stuff. Because it's on the way. Hallelujah. So I, I wrote down in my notes here that the devil has come, I've come, he's come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to reduce you to common. But the Word tells us we're uncommon. The Word tells us we're exceptional. We're not like regular folks. Amen. Oh, we're bought with a price. Whatever it took to buy you is what you're worth. Amen. So He's come to reduce you to being common. Where you don't want to ask for a raise, or you don't want to try out for another job, or you don't want to... Don't want to, don't want to, because you don't know who you are to reduce you to common. Where, like Melissa said this morning in the offering, where you just think you have to work for everything you're going to get. Ah, that's, that's just not true. I'm going to give for everything I get. I'm not working for it anymore. So we said Wednesday, the devil's come, basically, steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to mock you in your faith. He's come to confront your faith and say... It doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because you're not in faith, you're not important, your life doesn't matter, God doesn't, he's forgot you. Everything that everybody can think that why their faith has failed or they got trouble in their life, people that have disasters and troubles in their life, uh, a lot of them just lose it. And they're completely gone from the kingdom. You know people that are mad at God because something happened in their life or something didn't happen? Oh, they're, they're stacked up everywhere. They're mad at God because he didn't take care of them. There's a theology for that. There's a reason for all that, but you can't explain it to them. Right. It's the goodness of God that leads us to change. Hallelujah. So, uh, faith, or I'll say success, tracks Everyone tracks is in your path and behind you for everything, everyone that is willing to exchange the common for the holy. 
Can you say that with me? The common for the holy. And that's why I don't work for a living. It's because I don't exchange my life, I don't exchange my, my life for common things. I'm sowing my life, I'm laying down my life, my common life, my regular life, my whatever I am and whatever I can do and whatever I can uh, have, I'm exchanging it for holy things. That's why I took my money this morning, which is a common thing, and I exchanged it for the holy, the precious, the, the Godward things, the heavenly things. I put my offering in the bucket this morning with a specific purpose. I'm exchanging me for the holy, for the anointing, for the gifts of God, for the calling, for the favor, for the being at the right place with the right stuff and the right people. I'm exchanging it for that and nothing else. I'm not exchanging my life for stuff or fame. I know this is all common. I, I'm not telling you anything new. You understand this, but sometimes it helps to index it and bring it into line and show the order of it so that you can say, well, this is where I am in this process, and I'm moving towards the end of that process. Because sometimes you can't see the end from the middle. But we're on course. Amen? Turn with me to Matthew, if you would, chapter 25. So how do you, how do you know what's valuable? You know, if we're going to exchange the common for the holy, or if we're going to hold on to the valuable, seek first the kingdom, what's, what's the kingdom? What should I exchange my life for in the kingdom? What should I put off, throw away, do without? And if it comes back in a blessing, well, fine. We have to, y'all know what a blue book is? Y'all know what a Kelly blue book is? You look it up and it'll tell you generally what your car or truck is worth based on you, your condition of it. Of course, everybody's car is in excellent condition. <laughs> they have good, excellent, good, fair, and poor. Uh, none of us have ever owned one that wasn't excellent because it means a lot to us. But nevertheless, the Kelly Blue Book will tell you what things are worth in a range. But I'm going to tell you this morning, this is the Kelly Blue Book. This is the Jesus Blue Book of the value of your life. And you will not find it from other, the value of your life without investigating this. It'll tell you that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It'll tell you that you have been made a king and a priest unto God. It'll tell you that you always triumph in Him. You never lose a fight. You, you, you never lose a fight. We never lose a fight. It'll tell you that you fight the good fight of faith, which is the fight that we win. So this is the book. And what you see and experience, what you hear and, and, and know from other people, wouldn't necessarily tell you anything about your life. What they're doing and what they're believing for and where they're going and who they're hanging out with and what they're saving for might not have anything at all to do with your life. Sometimes you can get inspired. I, believe, I like what they're believing for. I'm going to believe for that too. We should all have a testimony in our hearts that we've heard that inspires us to go and do likewise. And that's what we do. We, we share our testimonies. We're just regular folks. We're all just regular folks pressing towards the calling of the high mark in Christ, in Christ Jesus. We're all pressing. Are you pressing? We're all pressing. So it, 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 it's good to hear a testimony of someone say, I'm pressing and this is how it's going. It was looking this way. I believed God and 
Whew, here's that. I came out on top. Put me over the edge. And we go, hmm, that inspires me to press. So testimonies are powerful. We read testimonies every Sunday, every Sunday morning. We listen to each other anytime you get one. We listen. We take time out to listen to the good fight of faith. And you might not get that somewhere else. You might not get that down at the domino hall or the, the, the chess club or whatever. Matthew 25. We said Wednesday that all you and I have is our life. What you promise to do is not, you don't have it. What you wish you could do, we're not going to put any marks beside it. So all you and I can do, whatever you are, what, where, if you're a brand new born again Christian, I mean just got Jesus this morning, or you're a saint, a salty dog that's been around for 50 years, and you're tried and true, you're tested, all you still have is your life, and what your value is, is what you're willing to exchange your one and only life for. Not what you have, but what you're willing to exchange it for. If you're just sitting there coasting, you're in maintenance mode, which is what most Christians are. They're just, they're just waiting for something bad to come up that they can defend themselves. But if you're out, like they're out there saying, I'm looking for a devil to cast out today. <laughs> I'm looking to evict small thinking today. I believe I'll read a little John G. Lake or a little Smith Wigglesworth or a little... Kenneth Hagin or whatever. I'm, I'm looking to increase something. I'm not under siege. I'm not under trouble. I'm not about to go under. I'm just sitting here refusing to be in a maintenance mode. I will increase every day. I will increase every day. So we read the word. We get in here and it increases us every day. We pray in the Holy Ghost. And it increases us every day. We, we get with the saints, and we hear their testimony, and we hear their life, and it increases us every day. We stay away from the, the way of the sinner and the mocker. We stay away from them because they decrease us. So we're on a path here. We're on a good, but, but your value is not really in what you've been given. It's not really in what you've been given. It's what you do with what you've been given. So I've been given some things, and it's up to me to assess my life and say, you're just the little finger, you're the little toe, you're the nail on the little toe. You ain't much, bud. And say, but I am going to be the best one of them ever been. And you just go from there. And we know this story in Matthew 25. It's, uh, it's in verse 14. It says, for the kingdom of heaven, who who is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his ability, his several ability, and straightway he took his journey. Then he that had received the five went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. So we looked at this, that everybody at the new birth is qualified to double his life. That would be the minimum that you could expect 
when you got born again is that there's an endowment, an endowment, an empowerment, and you can double your life. Just based on this, which is, you know, it's not even counting the anointing. It's just, this is natural law. You can double your life when you get the power of God. I have come that you might have life. That's at least the devil. So, uh, and then Luke, let's see, I wrote it down. Chapter 12, verse 48 says, For unto whom much is given, what, what, what? Much is required. So right here, we can fit that verse into this little story here because he, 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 didn't, he didn't notice, the master didn't notice that one guy just had four and the other one had ten. He just said, you doubled. You're on my good and faithful list. So whom to, whom, to whom much is given, much is required. The man that got five, it was required of him to bring five more. And the man that just got two, it was required. So something's required of you and me. We shouldn't judge each other and say, you got this and you ought to do that. But we all ought to assess ourselves. Judge yourself lest you be not judged. And just say, I got something. I'm going to find out what it's worth and I'm going to double it and go beyond that. We don't compete to do one another's ministry. Uh, we, had a, we had a girl in our church in West Texas, and I've told you about her. And uh, boy, she wanted to sing. Well, I like to sing too. It's just not profitable to anybody for me to do so. It's unpro I'm the unprofitable servant when it comes to singing. <laughs> I promise you, it's scary. I, I'm a little nervous about it myself sometimes. But here it is. That's, you know, so I don't lean into that. But she leaned into that. She just wanted to sing. And it didn't work out good for her because that was not her calling, but she, she was in pursuit. So we say around here that competition, there's no room for competition. Our only competition is to outlove one another. And, and we say, uh, I here's how I say it, I'm just joking. I say, I love you more than you love me, but you can narrow the gap. <laughs> uh, keep trying, don't, don't quit doing that. So I want to finish this up. I, I, Wednesday we talked about happy wife, happy life. Do y'all believe that? It's, it's, it's all biblical. It's all in the book. But I want to also say to you ladies that happy husband, happy life. It works both ways. But uh, sometimes we just get hung on what sticks out the most. And so our best life, my best life follows always follows what I'm willing to exchange it for. We say here at River Church, we say that every time we give, we, Melissa quoted it, we have upgraded our life. It changes our future. Is that right? Every time you give, it changes your future. It will not be the same. It cannot be the same. It changes your future. So if you didn't have that, it'd be like, well, I'm just being separated from my money. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. I've got just a few minutes here. And uh, I said all that to say this, what I'm fixing to say. Ephesians chapter 5. It's kind of unusual to, speak, to talk about marriage. Uh, but don't turn me off just because you're not married out there, anybody. And say, well, this is where I tune him out because I'm not married. This thing works for everybody every time, for everything. And look what it says in verse, uh, 
Verse 20, it says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now look at that first word in verse 21. It says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submitting yourselves to one another. How about that? We don't talk about that much. We, we want to go down to verse 22 and 3. But it says here, Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. Then it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. Well, you know, we've made a big deal about it in the kingdom, not we, but the kingdom, the, the church world, the religious world, has made a big, big deal about wives, submit yourself into your husbands, and what it means, and woman, ten steps behind me, and woman, I'm the head of you, and woman, I'm the boss, and you know, it's just gone, it's just gone crazy. But the culture that when this was written had to address it, they had to address the culture because... Women were, in a, in, a, in a natural sense, were worth a lot different than men in their own eyes. Not in God's eyes. But I want you to notice here, I, I just saw it this morning. Wives, submit yourself in your own husbands. It's the same word that says submit yourself one to another. Just walk up to somebody in church or otherwise and give them the old husband to wife talk about Submit to me. I'm the boss of you. Submit to me. I'm over you. Submit to me. You might have a little shiny spot on your face the next morning. You, you, that, it might not go well with you. But it's the same word. So, so we may have misunderstood the words submit, wives submit to your husbands. It might not be what all the men say it is. Because we're supposed to submit one to another. Which means to agree, to cooperate. What it means is fit. That's what the Lord told me. It means to fit. Wives, fit with your husbands. Saints, fit with your church. That's, he's talking to the church at Ephesus here. Fit, fit. Well, you go, well, that's why we need to know that. Well, because if you're not in the kingdom of God, you don't fit. And everybody's trying to fit, and they want to knock you down and make a place over here for you. They're all struggling to fit and find preeminence and find value and worth. But he said, we're not like that. Submit. Fit yourself with one another. Wives, fit with your husbands. Fit. How hard is that? Well, just don't be, don't, just don't be a hardhead. I don't, I've never seen any girls like that, but I, I guess there could be. The truth is... This is where I'm going to meddle, just, just a skoshie. <laughs> Look at that doubt and unbelief that rose up in her. Now, we're in, we're in an we're in a ideal world here, what I'm fixing to say, but men, really men, fight everything all day long for their marriage. Now, there's exceptions everywhere and all over, but, but truly, if they're in the traditional sense of breadwinner or whatever, they fight all day to be the breadwinner or to bring the supply. That's their job, uh, is to bring a supply. It's not so much in our modern day because women work, but that doesn't mean that's the Bible pattern. That just means where we've culturally come. But men fight all day to submit to uh, win for their marriage. And so the word is asking her, the wife, to be on his side when he comes home. That's all it means. Be on his side. He's fought the boss and the traffic and the, and the pay scale and the everything and everywhere all over. And so the word's telling 
be on his side when he comes home. Doesn't that sound better? Nobody, nobody nodded. Okay, let me go from another deal. <laughs> Look in verse 25. It says, uh, we, we'll work it from another thing. Oh, wait, verse, got to go back here. Verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as, even as Christ is the head of the church. We could go there, and he's the savior of the body. Now, here it's telling us that the husband is the savior of the, of the marriage. Well, what does that mean? It means he lays down his life for the marriage. That's what it means. Isn't that what Jesus did? He laid his life down for the body. And, and we, husbands, should lay down there. There is not of this, I'm the boss of you. It's I lay down my life for you. And because I take responsibility to lay down my life, it makes me the head or the cornerstone. And so he, he's got a name and he's asked her and she's obviously submitted to take on his name, his surname. If you're Mr. Hall, then you marry someone, she becomes Mrs. Hall. But she wasn't Hall before she submitted to you. So, so she's taken on his name. Well, he's got to have a name that's worthy of taking on. He's got to be responsible and respectful and upright. He's got to lay down his life for her to be worthy of her taking on his name. Oh, this is so good. It's so perfect. So in verse 25, uh, well, verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husband in everything. That's not hard. For the church to be subject to Christ. But the word says in Romans 8 that he's the firstborn among many brethren. So even though he's the head of the body, he's also a brethren. I know theologically that's a little hard to get around. We're not going to try to do it this morning, but... But so if the husband's the head of the marriage, not the head of the wife, the head of the marriage, then he's got to be able to lay down his life for the marriage. And she's got to be willing to go with him or stay with him because he's fighting for the marriage. In an ideal world, I know there's unchristian un things and evil things, but we're talking about the righteous here. In verse 25, it says, uh, uh, husbands, love your wives, even as... Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Well, that's just talking about exchange. We just exchange our life. We, we come in and give up that the man is usually physically bigger or stronger than the wife and is uh, uh, more skilled in defending himself. And many times, at least it used to be, that he would be the educated one if she stayed home with the children. And he went and got a degree. It's not that way anymore. And I'm, it's not better or worse. It's just the way it was. And yet the word says that he should lay his life down for the marriage. And that he should give himself for it. Well, that's, that is exchange. So we're talking about happy wife, happy life. This is how you get it. And you can't, you can't get it just because he's tall, dark, and handsome. You can't get it just because she's beauty queen and and uh, whatever, whatever, whatever people say is worth marrying for, the, the world's plans. That's not it. And we can't get ahead. You can't have a happy life, husbands, unless you lay down for your wife. And wives, the same thing he's saying here. You can't have a happy life unless you lay down your life. And so... Uh, uh, 
I say, now this is where I get in trouble, is that men ought to give everything up for their wives that's not contrary to the vision for the marriage. He's there to protect the marriage. The word talks about what a husband does. He's to guide, he's to guard, he's to govern. Well, you got kids in this marriage. And so you gotta, you gotta, he's got to be in his place in order to be for the wife. They, they raise their children together, but he's the, he's the guardian of the marriage. He guards, guards, and governs. And so uh, there's, there's giftings for the husband and there's giftings for the wife. I'm talking about going the distance here. And we know for the husband, he's been given an endowment Generally speaking, culturally it's not so evident, but generally speaking, he's been given the power of money. I know all that's skewed right now in our, day, in our new culture because she makes as much or more than he does and this, that, and the other. But the way it was originally set up, and still is, is that he has the gift of money, of supply. And then you could say she has the gift of what can we say? Affection. To the nth degree. It's the S word. <laughs> she has it. And everybody knows the genders. Everybody knows the gifting, the power that we have over each other and with each other. But when you're married, what you do is, is that the husband, he gives her the gift that he's got. The, the power of supply. He gives it to her. He doesn't say, this, what, a, what a wimp. What a weenie that comes in and says, this is my money. And I'll give you what I want you to have. What a... That's just terrible. So this is my money. I went and you didn't do nothing today. All you did was clean house and you didn't even really do a good job of that or whatever. And then she could say, she could say... Here I am, baby. Do you want me? He'll say, with everything. And she said, well, it's mine. I ain't giving up none of it. And what a tragedy is, and I'm going to quit with this, is to trade or to withhold what your gifting is that is for the marriage, for him, for her, for them, for the family, to barter with it and say, this is mine. That's not laying down your life. And we're talking about exchange here, where we lay down our life. You want to be happy in your life, your whole life, and you want to be married? Then your job when you get married is to lay down your life for her. And her job when they get married is to lay down her life for him. In other words, it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. Now, just prove me wrong. Just go out there and say, this, that ain't true, this is, it's not that way. But you'll, you'll not be right. I'm right on this. I've seen it. I've experienced it. I am a big proponent of this principle in marriage. And I'm telling you, it plays very, it's always played very, very well for me. But there's a fear of loss of control in men. Because they've been fighting with men all at the job and fighting the boss and fighting the system. So they don't want to give up their control. They don't want to say, hey, the inside of the house is yours. The house is yours, because Proverbs 31 talks about that, about the virtuous woman. 
And men's like, well, but I, I don't like that color and I don't like that style and whatever. No, you, you care too much. We let you part your hair on the side that you want. But after that, you don't get to say nothing. If she wants this and she wants that, if it's not contrary to the, the vision of the marriage, of the covenant of the marriage, it ought to be no big deal. And of course, if you give it up, gentlemen, if you give it up and say, hey, baby, whatever you want, you want five legs on this table, you want, you want, you want macrame. <laughs> Isn't that scary? <laughs> macrame in, in our house. We had a macrame table that came down and went around this glass thing. Ah, ah, makes you want to breathe hard. But uh, darling, if you want macrame in our, our house, well, just let's knit. Let's, let's put it together. But I'll tell you what will happen. She'll say, oh, no, I want your input. I want what you want. I want to please you. I'll, I'll put it together, and I'll do it, and I'll arrange it, and, and, but I'm going to have your input. When you give out of your gifting, you exchange the common for what's holy, and it comes back in the form of respect and honor and love and affection all the things that we all say, that would be a good marriage. That would be a good life. I can hardly tell y'all how you look, you're looking right now. <laughs> but leadership always has to submit. Leadership is not boss. It's not uh, a bully. Leadership is figuring out how to get all the parts to work. That's leadership. It's not being the part. It's, it's making the parts all work together. So... What we do is in marriage, we empower each other. If I'm the husband and I bring in the supply and I disperse it according to, to, to love, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay that down. I'm going to pick up honor and respect, affection and care. I'm going to pick it up. Whereas if I hold on to the money, <laughs> look, can I tell a little story? I, I got to quit. But Debbie told me at the very first year of our marriage, I mean, we were young and impressionable and, and, and pretty salty at that. But she told me, she said, and, and this never came up, but she said, listen, here's how it is. If you ever lay a hand on me, if you ever lay a hand on me, she said, I will take it. But as soon as you go to bed, I will tie the sheets at every corner and beat the snot out of you with a baseball bat. <laughs> That was just her little thing of setting the parameters. <laughs> I don't know if she ever meant it or whatever, but I, I just, I knew what the score was, and I respected her for that. So I'm going to read this to you, and then we're going to finish. We are going to finish right here. 1 Corinthians 13, 4. You ought to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. You ought to read it. You ought to... You want to make something work? You want to make your life happy? You want to get it done? He said, love, this is the Amplified. You can read in King, King Jimmy anytime. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Y'all say amen every once in a while. Amen. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Is not boastful or vainglorious. Does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. Love does not insist on its own rights or its own way, for it is not self-seeking. It is not touchy 
or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. And here it is right here. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. Come on, y'all. It's going to take a little bit to get that in. It does not rejoice at injustice and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything and everything that comes. It is ever ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless under all circumstances, and it endures everything without weakening. Love never fails, never fades out or becomes obsolete or comes to an end. I will quit with this, the passion. I have others, but the passion says, love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements, nor inflate its own importance. Love does not traffic in shame or disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated, oh my goodness, or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Oh, that's a good message right there, y'all. We're already on that. It's not like, well, boy, that'll change my life. We're already doing that. We're just tw- tuning up. We're just tweaking and saying, yep, that's, that's who I am. That's what I do, and that's what I have. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today at River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We're so blessed. We hope the Word of God changes your life today. Amen. Amen.